This is Paul Adamson, and I'm in conversation with Monique Goyens. Monique Goyens is the Director General of BEUC, the European Consumer Organization, the Bureau Européen de l'Union des Consommateurs. I know you take great exception uh, as an organization, and you personally, as being described as being anti-free trade, anti-globalization. I've heard you say that on more than one occasion. And yet, when it came to not so much CETA, the EU-Canada trade deal, but certainly on the Transatlantic Trade and Investment Partnership with the US, TTIP, you were quite outspoken. You are very critical at TTIP in the past. So um, has you, have your views about TTIP changed as, as the years have gone by? which has not really to do with trade. Right. We are certainly, we have no problems for both deals when it comes to the trade chapters. But when it comes to regulatory cooperation, good regulatory practices and investment protection, we are much more concerned. Um, now we see that TTIP, there has been quite, uh, there has been progress uh, in, in a positive sense. Uh, and we believe that it's due to the fact that uh, at, at least from the EU side, there has been much more openness and engagement with different stakeholders. So we welcome that from the Commission side. Okay. Uh, it is a little bit more complicated from the US side. Okay, we'll come to that in a second. We have a few minutes in front of us. Um, way back in 2014, you wrote an article for eSharp, actually, I hope you remember, uh, about TTIP, where you say that the focus of the agreement, obviously it's written two and a half years ago, is to reduce costs for companies with too little thought given to how these reductions will be translated to tangible benefits for consumers. That was a year after the formal launch of TTIP. We're now two and a half years after your article. Do you still more or less share those views that the, the, the consumer side is, is slightly downgraded? Uh, downgraded, but I would say ignored, not in a negative sense, but it's just out of the picture of the negotiators. Right. Uh, of course, uh, if you cut costs for industry or for undertakings, there could be a, a, a positive impact on consumers, but not guaranteed by the treaty itself. That's normal. It, it has to do with the competitive structure of the market, but that needs to be catered for, and that's certainly something that is for the moment not guaranteed. What we have been asking on TTIP and that we still are not seeing is really like specific consumer-friendly provisions on air passenger rights, on roaming when you are a transatlantic consumer, but also as a consumer you will go much more into online contracts with American companies or with Canadian companies and there you would then also need a much more uh, delivering um, redress system or dispute settlement system like a, an ADR system or uh, access to courts which is totally out of the picture in that in that agreement. Okay. You also said in the article that um, time and again TTIP has, uh, has been described as setting the paradigm for 21st century trade deals and let's make consumer well-being is a set objective, not an accidental consequence of international trade. Is, am I right in saying that groups like your own, uh, and, and in particular Bayer, because you were, had a leading role, took a particular interest in TTIP and latterly CETA, the Canadian deal, because of the regulatory conversion, uh, for convergence aspects. In other words, trade deals with the EU is conducting with Korea or, or, or Vietnam or, good, or even Japan uh, were less interesting to you because they were, not, they were more classical trade deals? Good uh, resources. Uh, we had, we, you know, we have uh, uh, tensions on our resources, but it, uh, it was really the, uh, the scope of TTIP that brought us back to trade policy. Like we already worked on trade policy in the 1990s, but then we gave up. We had other uh, fish to fry. Um, but now I think that we have realized, and the, the whole civil society has really woken up to trade over the last two or three years, and we have realized that certainly TTIP and now also CETA, they are going to be the models of much more uh, modern trade agreements. And that's why we also welcome the fact that um, the Commission, in its, new com in its communication about the future trade strategy, Trade for All, right. uh, there is a much more um, positive approach towards um, transparency and also towards uh, inclusion of different stakeholders in trade policy. And that's something, that's the way to go forward. 
and that's why we are also fighting so hard for certain principles to be included uh, in in, um, in TTIP or in CETA because they will be the ones that are going to be copy-pasted. Okay, and is that therefore a reason the copy-paste aspect, one of the reasons why civil society is now taking a much more keen interest in trade deals? Because you think that TTIP in particular, maybe also CETA, are going to set the template for trade deals? Is that what you're saying? Yes, indeed. We believe that the approach that is going to be taken will be something that uh, if it's bad, it will be bad for many decades. Right. While if it, it's uh, it's going to maybe st uh, take a step, and I hope so, take a step back from ISDS slash ICS, uh, that would be great because then that means that ISDS is part of history, which we, we believe should be the case, and that we will have a much more modern um, investment protection system that can be then here to stay, uh, also from the from the perspective of civil society organisations. Right. You mentioned the recent communication from the European Commission DG Trade on, on trade for all, and we'll talk about that in a second. But I just wonder whether there are any lessons uh, to be drawn from the, the past two three years uh, from the Commission's point of view, how they've conducted themselves. It seems, on one level, I know you're never satisfied civil society, but it seems on one level that um, the they try to address transparency, but made the, they made the mistake maybe waking up too late and doing it incrementally. I'm talking for the sake of our listeners the fact that they were, there's an advisory group of which you're a member, obviously, Monique, uh, making more documents available on the TTIP website. Um, there are regular stakeholder debriefings, as you know, which I'm sure you and your colleagues take, take part in, and, and so on and so on. But all these measures uh, come brought together never seem to quite keep uh, civil society groups happy. Is that a fair comment? Well, on the transparency, I really believe that... Uh they have done a major progress, so we really are happy with that and we very often acknowledge uh, the fact that since Mrs. Malmström came in office that there has been a total shift of approach towards inclusiveness and tra certainly transparency. Uh, what we criticise for the moment, certainly when it comes to, and CETA was before that yeah, policy, so right. I mean this is, uh, can I say, a legacy from um, Karl de Gucht, uh, which we have certainly criticised when he was in, um, in, in, in office. What we see now is the problem with TTIP and with CISA uh, is that certain of the partners, like the United States, they do not want to share texts. So the, uh, the European Union and the Commission, they are being blocked by the secret secrecy approach of the partners, be it the United States or for, for TISA by other partners. So they have done the maximum that they could do. And it's now, the, the question is, in a trade deal you have two partners, or even more, and we, as even as an advisory group, and don't even speak about the public uh, in general, we don't have ac access anymore to consolidated versions because the US don't want to share it. So this is now uh, the major gap that we see now, um, and it is not, um, let's say, under the responsibility of the Commission anymore. They have to respect what their trade partners uh, you know, uh, right. ask for, which is secrecy, and we uh, have been writing to uh, Michael Froman regularly to tell him, come on, uh, open your books. What secret is his suspect? But he is totally, let's say, hermetic to these requests. Well, I mean, I, I was going to ask you, but maybe I can also answer my own question, which is why do you, why do you think the US is behaving in this way? Um, it, it strikes me on one level that this could seem by many uh, of, the, of the protagonists, as, a, as you said earlier, a classic trade deal. And as you said yourself also, it is not a classic trade deal. A lot of discussion on regulatory convergence and where, uh, where the, the need for secrecy is not so obvious. So well, what, did, what did the Americans say to defend? Well, they say that you cannot really negotiate a deal uh, without having... Uh, you know, uh, while showing your cards, it's like a poker game. But this is outdated. I, I really don't accept their arguments. And not only is secrecy not obvious when it comes to regulatory convergence, it's not totally illegitimate. Because when you speak about regulatory convergence, you speak about regulatory sovereignty 
of your domestic legislator. And this is something, you can discuss that. You can decide that you go into cooperation with, uh, uh, with uh, third countries, but that has to be decided democratically. And that's what we uh, are really criticizing very much. I don't have any problem with having no access to information about the tariff deals or the right. quota deals, because yeah. that's trade and yeah, there, there is a tradition. Yeah. But when it comes to really uh, uh, shaping the future regulatory framework for issues that are of general interest, we don't see at all any justification for secrecy. Okay, well, I'm going to ask in a second about about the future of trade generally, and, and, and specifically the fu any future for a transatlantic deal with its trade and or regulatory convergence. But before I do that, one question I've been wanted to ask you for a long time. You you say, and I and it's perfectly sincere. I know that you are you are not the kind of NGO which is against trade. I said earlier and against globalization even. Having said that, you've seen in, in the streets of Brussels and elsewhere across Europe, especially in Germany, quite strong and virulent and, and uh, um, I wouldn't say violent, but very disruptive demonstrations by some members of a civil society against CETA, against TTIP. What, I mean, are you concerned at all about being linked with those kind of organizations or just, is that just the way things are? Well, uh, what I always say, because we work a lot with those organizations, uh, we never go on the street because that's not our uh, campaigning line. What we say is we don't necessarily agree on the, uh, uh, on, on the, on the good, good sides of a trade deal. So we are pro-trade for, for sure, and some of those organizations are against trade as a principle. But what we share is the concerns, be it uh, investment protection or regulatory convergence. Now. Uh, of course, we position ourselves always very clearly, and those people or those stakeholders that take the, the, uh, make the effort of going to our websites or seeing what we say we are on record on, we are very different of those organizations. And I think that we also try to really constructively improve the text. We don't say no, we say yes if. And we have had many, many conversations with the trade officials in DG Trade. We always have had an open door and we have told them on very technical levels, this is something that will have that and that implication. This is acceptable or it's not acceptable. So that is the way we try to shape a good trade deal for people. But, but these groups who are obviously, uh, they've been around for quite some time, they're very well organized. Um, they, are they uh, a problem for organizations like yours, which seem a bit more moderate or is it just the way things are and you just get on with, with your job as it were? Well, uh, well, they criticize us also from time to time of not being activist enough. So right. we are in the middle of the, uh, the, the different worlds. But I think that uh, they are doing their job. So I think they have a, a niche or even a big niche uh, in uh, raising awareness of public opinion. And you need to do this in order to put pressure on the policymakers. Uh, and uh, of course, many people uh, are not necessarily aware of um, the te technical details of what is a, a trade deal. It's thousands of pages right. uh, or negative and positive lists in services. I mean, this is a very, very complicated issue. But they express uh, their concern about globalization, which, which has to be addressed. But let's now talk about the future. You, you referenced a couple of times this new policy statement, quite new statement by Celia Bostrom about trade for all. Um, and let's, let's apply that maybe to the principles of any new transatlantic trade agreement. Do we, first of all, do you agree that for the moment at least, even though the Canadian deal seems to be back on, uh, there's no immediate prospect of the transatlantic trade and investment partnership being conducted in the next mm -hmm. immediate, immediate future? Do you agree with that assessment? Well, well, of course, first of all, we are stopped by elections. Right. Uh, this is a, an external element, of course, very important. So we don't expect it to really be life again, uh, if ever, depending on, the, on who is going to win the presidential elections in America uh, before, let's say, May, June. Right. This is something. Now, what we see now on the content, whatever be the winner uh, in, in, in America, is that there is a major 
the investor state dispute yeah, settlement. Sorry, yes, yeah, the, the, yeah. the private arbitration system. Yeah. The US doesn't seem to move one inch from their position, so that will be a major red line for the negotiations. But then also then more uh, when it comes to the European industry uh, um, uh, offensive interest, which is uh, access to public procurement in the States. If that's something that is being blocked, like it is being blocked currently by the United States, there will be a lot of uh, frustration by our colleagues from the industry and uh, well-justified frustration, indication of geographic, um, geographic indications, okay, also right. a, a, ver a stumbling block. So I believe that even without speaking about um, regulatory cooperation, there are so many hot topics there that uh, we, we don't believe that it's going to progress very quickly. Okay, well, let's pretend for a moment that, you're, that you do a kind of job swap for Cecilia Malmström. She runs the organization here for consumers, and you become the European Commissioner for Trade. I mean, is it a question of simply waiting a few months, as you're suggesting, and, and the dust settles in, the, in, in Washington and see who's a new US, USTR, et cetera, et cetera? Uh, and then we just, we just kind of put the clock back on and, and restart TTIP more or less where it finishes now. Or on the contrary, do we have a, a brand new approach, a fresh new approach? And if it's obviously, my question is rather leading, but um, mm -hmm. if it's the latter, if you were Commissioner for Trade, how would you think about, go about sort of relaunching it as some kind of transatlantic mm -hmm. uh, discussion? Well, as a Commissioner for Trade, my first responsibility would be my people, my citizens. Right. And there have been quite strong signals sent out under the CETA uh, scandal, can I say so, or the CETA crisis. So that would be my priority. Uh, designing maybe a new way of thinking or of working or of reaching out in order to increase the legit legitimacy of trade deals. I think that's, that's a, a basic work that has to be done and that has to be applied to TTIP. Uh, so, so I think it's a, it's, a, it's a very good opportunity and I think she, she really has this openness she has shown all over the all over the negotiations now and certainly over the last weeks that the commission is ready to to adapt and to cater now it has been a little bit improvised uh, right. it has been yeah, uh, every 24 hours there was another deadline yeah. uh, it would be good to have a little bit of vision there and structure and structure and and for for see, uh, previs previsibility do you yeah, say predictability, it? predictability yeah predictability yeah sorry. yeah um, and, and that would be for certainly something where then she could have a much broader base uh, which is standing behind her in the TTIP negotiations. Okay, and are you optimistic that some kind of, unless not, I mean, we shouldn't, shouldn't even use the word TTIP, maybe it's a, the, the name is so, is so controversial, the words are so controversial, um, but what, do you see some kind of new dialogue being started sometime uh, in the next 12, 18 months between the EU and the US? I hope so, I hope so. I think it's important to have that dialogue and to come up with a deal. Um, now, does it have to have the same content and the same shape than the current TTIP? That's another question. Right. Uh, and uh, but I think, of course, there should be a progressive deal with the United States. All right. On that very positive note, Monique Goins, thank you very much for your time. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs>